Hey now, welcome to the dirty side of the track. It's America's leading Formula One podcast. I'm Brian, that's Rob. It's not a race week, but we have a banger of a show for you, wouldn't you say, Rob? Oh yeah, 100%. We've got another Vale's Tales coming and uh, really had fun digging into this one. A driver I we both knew of, but didn't know a lot about, and now we know a lot more. And we're going to share it on today's show, but... Uh, before we get there and do the big reveal, um, we'll hit some news and social. Um, oh my gosh, the <laughs> wounds have been reopened. Oh, uh, my we, oh my god! We t- we touched on it last week that we knew that the big story coming out at the end of Monza was the safety car and that the rules had been followed this time. And wouldn't really take a, a Nostradamus to predict that the rest of the week on the Twitterverse was oh. going to be reopening the Abu Dhabi debate. Um, at least one good thing came from it. There was one honest conversation about Abu Dhabi. It was, uh, wasn't Buxton part of it on Twitter. Uh, it felt like there was at least one good conversation, but all the rest was crap. There, there really was. In fact, I quote tweeted it because I saw it. This guy called Dave, I think his handle is like at Dave Musings or something. So he muses on all things F1. And he just kind of wrote this really like to the point, factual no toxicity, no emotion, just basically said, uh, I just want to address what happened in Abu Dhabi and why it was wrong because, and went do-do-do-do-do, and had about like seven or eight tweets in a row. And he, he copied in um, Will Buxton and a another who I can't remember because they didn't respond, and basically said, what do you guys think of it? You're the F1 journalist, you're on the inside, do you agree with it, or is it just us on the outside as fans living in this bubble? And I thought, okay, you know, no one's going to answer you. Although it was a really good, well-structured tweet, I thought, yeah, fair, fair enough for trying, but it's not going to happen. And then Will Buxton replies, and basically goes along the lines of, um, you know, basically, given how well uh, you articulated that, uh, I owe you the response in this kind of the same thing, and did about seven or eight tweets in a thread going through great. this. It was great. And he basically just said, you know, we don't swear on this podcast, but, you know, stuff happens, and it has in every sport across the globe bad refereeing calls, bad refereeing decisions, they very rarely, if ever, lead to a game being replayed. If a, if a referee doesn't call a goal or a touchdown or, a you know, whatever they do in baseball with the running around the circle thing, um, it, it's bad calls that we as fans, we dine out on. Every time we go to the bar, we'll bemoan our luck. If you, It depends which side of the coin you're on. If it happened to your team, you never let it go. If it happens for your team, you but you like to play that whole, well, what goes around go, comes around. Sometimes we'll be on the other side of the luck and sometimes we won't. Well, and, and, and he also pointed out a few other things, which we talked about in our first ever podcast when we reviewed that race, where in the beginning, Lewis cut a corner when Max forced him off, but he went off the track. And he gained an advantage, not a position, but an advantage, um, and never really gave that back. And there were a lot of other things to it. And it was nice to see sort of a fact-based discussion without yeah. people uh, throwing piles of feces. And so it was fun. Uh, and then the rest of the Twitter sphere was was piles of feces. It was. and then, But what that did inspire us to do was that um, we dropped our blog this week um, all about safety cars. So kind of tried to mix the two things together. A, the history of safety cars. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, I never realized, I never realized they had a Lamborghini Countach. I did not know that car. either until oh, you that found that. I had no idea. I'd seen all the Mercedes over the years and blah, blah. Oh, the Lambo. Sign so me up. I used to work um, 
when I was at school, my summer job was to work at a Fiat garage. Uh, my stepdad worked at the Fiat garage and he got me a job there. And I was the valet manager. So, yeah, I was in charge of cleaning the cars. Um, <laughs> but um, we had, like, when the Fiat, like, when the Fiat Tempra came out, it was supposed to be kind of like this... I don't know. Really, uh, no, I know you won't. I know yeah. you won't. Look at the blog. Look at the picture. It's supposed to be this cool Fiat car. It yeah. wasn't. It was a heap of junk. It ended up being a safety car. And there's a picture on the blog of what? Ayrton and Senna hanging out the window of this Fiat Set Tempera. And I'm like, what? But the one that's on there, the one that was near and dear to my heart, I've mentioned it to you before and you'd never heard of it, but Renault had a small hatchback called the Renault Clio. I'm familiar they, with the Clio. Wait, wait, wait. Time out. I, I'm familiar with the Clio. I no, I know the Clio. You, don't, you yeah. didn't know the next Oh, I don't bit. know this version. Yeah, yeah. yeah you didn't know that what, they, what Renault Clio also yeah. did, because Renault were in partnership with Williams, is they dropped a Williams limited edition, right. Renault Clio yeah. Williams, which was basically a car that was quite small and really shouldn't have the amount of power that it did for how small it was. Um, I always wanted one of those. I was never going to be able to afford one, and more than that, I was never going to be able to afford the insurance premium that went with it. So, uh, yeah, it was nice to go down memory lane of kind and learn some things about the safety car, and then at the end we kind of will let you go read it, but it was more to kind of look at the two views of uh, safety cars. Should they be allowed to end races behind a safety car? So do we, do you, and I kind of sum this up with two songs. Do you go down the route of Bruce, Bruce Horns being the range of that's just the way it is. Uh, some things never change and you can save, stay, uh, finish behind safety cars. Or do we need to go for a queen? Don't stop me now. I'm having such a good time. And we need to find a way of not uh, finishing behind safety cars. So anyway. Go read it. Check it out. It was fun doing it. Or the third option is the Phoebe Buffet. Safety car, safety <laughs> car. Why are they hating you? And so on. <laughs> I'd had a couple of drinks when I put that out there last night. I think you've had a couple now. Um, and that's also true. By the way, I put this yeah. in here as a note for us, Brian, because I'm really not sure if we have or we haven't. So we definitely covered Porsche and Red Bull getting together and, uh, you know, going to go to the chapel, going to get married. We're going to well, make we covered amazing... Audi getting approved. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Him, but... We covered the news that Porsche have actually then left Red Bull at the altar <laughs> no. and gone, yeah, no, no thanks. No, we haven't. I mean, it just effectively was announced right around the race last week. Um, yeah, that's wild, man. And, and the bigger, stranger part is Porsche being a part of Volkswagen and Audi being a part of Volkswagen, and Audi is in, maybe without, it's, it sounds as though it'll be Sauber, but we'll see, but without that being confirmed, um, but then the other side, like the other side of the hallway at Volkswagen, they're like, nah, I'm not sure about this one now. Like, what? Like, yeah. it just was very bizarre that they got so far down the aisle there must have been some very serious deal breakers in there that uh, would force well, for, them to walk away. From like, the know. small bit that I read, and again, don't know how much is just the rumor mill in overdrive, was that um, Red Bull wanted to retain, um, I think Porsche were buying a 50% stake in it, where Red Bull were going to retain all uh, racing uh, rights, but then I think that was getting chipped away at in the final discussions. And it's, I mean, it may sound like Red Bull walked away, but again, I don't know if that's Red Bull just trying to save face, going, yeah, no, uh, we dumped her. Uh, right. If, so. if it's unfortunate because I was really hoping we could see like a Max Verstappen in a nine five nine. Is too much too much car for you? So a Porsche nine five nine was like the coolest car. I know what a to... Porsche nine five nine is. Okay, um, it's on my list of if I had a lot of money, uh, go get one of those. And so if had I seen Max driving one of those, like if they'd made a video and then like eighty eightiesified it, you know, like oh man, that would have been just tremendous to watch one of the best drivers ever. Talking about cars and having a lot of money. Oh god. Um 
Puro is, Sangue is how you pronounce it, I believe. So Ferrari dropped their new car. Their SUV. Their new car. Let's let's introduce this. So they dropped their new car. Their SUV. Um, they didn't really introduce it under any genre. Uh, you tweeted out um, on behalf of the dirty side without asking permission from me, uh, calling it an <laughs> SUV, right? Um, and, no, and, and, and we need the dirty siders to settle a debate, uh, an argument here. So I'll just put my... F- 10 pence forward, you can counter it with your 10 cents. I mean, pence are worth more than cents, so I'll win. But um, the way I know it, although I am willing to backtrack on this a little bit because it seems like it's not an exact science, is that an SUV tends to come from a truck-type chassis where you build it down to make it more car-like. So you start off with a big truck, off-roader, you build it down a little bit and basically put a car body shell on it, and voila, I have an SUV. And it it tends to retain some kind of off-road capacity. Then that weird crossover thing came, which was kind of the opposite, when you start from a car chassis and you build it up to be more truck-like, but again, put some kind of off-road capability in there. I think this Ferrari, because it didn't start from truck and it doesn't have off-road capability, I think it's more like the good old classic Grand Tourers that in Top Gear they would have taken all the way across Europe or whatever, which was the sports car that gets made a little bit bigger to be more comfortable and opulent for long distance, and they tend to upgrade it from a two-seater to a four-seater. I say that new Ferrari is a, is a Grand Tourer, not an SUV. Discuss. And I said it was a four, five, six. by your definition, it would be a four, five, six jacked up with tiny suicide doors. It's not. It's an SUV. If the Urus is an S, if the Urus is an SUV, then this is an SUV. And the Urus, you cannot make the argument, is based on the LMO2 platform. Lamborghini made tractors and trucks, the LMO2 and others. It's it's those are, these are not these are SUVs. And well, I'm going to lean on, on our good fr- listener friend Mark from Australia and say that GQ Australia said that Ferrari have launched their first ever four door. SUV-like Grand Tourer. So they said it's not an SUV, it's a Grand Tourer, but people keep calling it an SUV because they're wrong. So I, I love Australia, and I'm going to stay with them. Well, everything, I, all the reviews I watched, from CarWow to, I think, Schmee had one, to, I don't know if Demuro had one yet, but I just I watched a bunch of people I do actually enjoy their videos and respect. They all called it an SUV. Lazy journalism. They're things, all going for the clickbait. As I said, the thing's jacked up like an AMC Eagle. It is an SUV. We can. You move can't on. take that thing off road though. Take a look at the picture of it. It's got no four wheel drive capability. My car doesn't have any four wheel drive capability. I drive it in the snow. I mean, but yours isn't an SUV. No, but mine's it's wow. not a snow car either. It's in the okay. eye of the beholder. Ding, so I have a ding, question. Ding. Yeah, Rob moving wins. on. No. Rob wins. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a question no, for I'm you saying, then. Throw, we'll throw it over, open to the yeah. Twitterverse. Uh, tweet us at uh, F1 Dirty Side if the new Ferrari. Take it, go and, go and uh, Google it. Take a look at it. Look at its spec. Is S- it a SUV, U- a crossover SUV, or is it a Grand oh, Tourer? Or is it something else? Thing? It's an SUV. It's an SUV. All it's right, Rob, SUV. question for you, buddy. Somehow, with this whole silly season deal kind of moving in slow motion now, Alonso puts it on, on steroids. It slows down now. We're waiting to see about Pierre. We're waiting to see about uh, Colton Herta. And Mick is kind of in this weird limbo. And this last week, a lot of talk about Nico Hulkenberg as a candidate for Haas in 2023. And I want to talk about this because I have a serious problem with that. But before we do, when Daniel Ricardo, another person who's looking for a chair, when Daniel and Nico were teammates at Renault, 
they did a bunch of like videos together when this when when you know team videos really got popular on YouTube, and they did one where Nico was trying to explain to Daniel how to pronounce his name, and I'm gonna play that video now because it is worth it. Hülkenberg. 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 Sag's mal ein bisschen männlich. Hey. Hülkenberg. Hülkenberg. Nico Hülkenberg. Nico Hülkenberg. So, <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I got a bunch of Nico sounds here. I'm not going to go into. I just, I don't understand when we when we had the first conversation about who'd go into the seat at Aston Martin, and we talked about you know the idea of Lance Stroll, uh, sorry, Lawrence Stroll wanting a, a name. I said either you go for young talent or you go for an experienced veteran with you know credentials. He's neither. And I have nothing against the guy, but he has the third most uh, entries in a GP without ever making the podium. Um, and actually without ever win, third most ever without a win, most ever without a podium. So it's just mind-blowing like that all of a sudden he's in this conversation. Where did he come from? Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the I was digging around because I couldn't understand why Mick... Like Mick has actually outperformed KMAG recently, and and it's not like you've got this whole huge diversity. Like we, I think we said previously that um, it's not like if if KMAG was being um, Lando and Mick was being Danny, you'd see that big gulf and you'd understand it. But they're not. They're very very side by side. Mick is obviously the the driver for the future because he's younger. So if he's matching KMAG at the moment, you'd think well. I'd stick with Mick and maybe right. think about moving K-Mag on. Right. What I kind of, I went digging a little bit. It seems as everything that this could well be money related now. So Mick's not in the Ferrari Academy anymore, right? So he's not, I guess, under pressure to be in the Haas seat because it's not the Ferrari. I don't know if the Ferrari tie in there kind of keeps him there. Also, apparently Mick brings a lot of money to Haas because of the one-on-one sponsorship that is right. to do with Mick. Now, there's a story doing the rounds at the moment that some big unnamed American superpower company is about to write a big fat old check to Haas to I invest so they won't need this one-on-one -on -one sponsorship money I was like okay so fine Mix but Mick's not a, a, a money seat only I would say he's not like a Latifi right. that is just bringing a checkbook and not bringing driving driver. talent yep. right so I don't still don't get why there's rumors about Schumacher not being there because like you say bring in Ugenberg and what you're guaranteeing that you're never going to get uh, a podium finish because right. I mean I don't get it third most races without a win and the most he has the most races without a podium and I'm, again he's a fine driver right and he seems like a, an okay guy but what what is it solving you're not going for a young person who's going to develop into a champion nor are you going with someone who has a ton of winning experience I don't it's like a weird middle ground and I don't yeah and, and, and on the rare occasions that the Haas has been good both K-Mag and Schumacher have finished up there. So when Schumacher got his points, I think K-Mag's been in the points as well. So it's like, give these two a good car, they'll give you good results. Why do you? Why are you guys in a rush to change your driver lineup? Just keep them together. They seem to have good chemistry. The best part of the story, and let's close it here and move on, is that, Kev, speaking of chemistry, Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hulkenberg hate each other <laughs> with a passion. This There's a famous, where they bumped into each other a while ago, and this happened live after the race. Once again, most unsupportive driver of the Suck grid. My That's the two of them talking to each other in the interview pen. Uh, most unsporting driver on the grid. Suck my mate. So, 
Yeah, why would you do that? I mean, we've heard that you know Pierre isn't tight with Esteban. If that were to come together, these guys actually hate each other. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, right, away from, kind of away from F1, but still in F1. Uh, my son told me we had to cover this, otherwise he was going to get angry at me because he started getting into the uh, the esports. So apparently the first and second races of the season have taken place. And uh, if only, I guess if only McLaren could swap esports for real world because we've had the Bahrain race and the Imola race so far on Wednesday and Thursday. And Lucas Blakely of the McLaren shadow has taken both wins. So McLaren are two for two. Like I say, if only they could swap esports for real world, they'd be loving it. Um, however, in a great little twist of things, and to link back to that amazing sandwich song that we've uh, that we love, um, Lucas Blakely of uh, McLaren took the win, and his teammate finished third, and Mercedes reigning champion Jano Opmia was second. So therefore. Yano was in a true Mercedes sandwich That's because right. he was the filling between two McLarens. <laughs> That's right. And I've actually heard of Yano Upmere. I'm familiar with that person and their name. That's oh, all I have just, for esports. I, I, I love I, the I, idea I, of it. I just, I'm not, I'm, I'm not able, I, my content, uh, you know, ability to take in content has reached its max. Uh, and I can't take in any more esports types things at this point. I I'll save space haven't, for it. I probably haven't got into it yet because I'm a bitter old man that has been born too early, <laughs> and I'm so jealous of people that can make a career out of basically just playing on their uh, on their consoles. Or That's their the only thing from getting you your slice of luck pie, as you mentioned last week, was just the timing. You would be good enough, though, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'd be good enough, right? Obviously, obviously. that's without uh, doubt. I mean. Okay. Uh, yeah. few videos to mention before we hit the Veil's Tales. Um, so, obviously, we talked a lot about Nick DeVries, and we kind of talked about both sides of the of the discussion about, you know, whether or not he should have a seat. Um, obviously, a fantastic result. Someone uh, on the channel, The Stigger, like the Stig from Top Gear, The Stigger, put a note out, DeVries' reaction to being driver of the day. And it was about five minutes of his Sky Sports, another interview put together. It was it was fun to watch how excited Nick was. Just talking about Divries because we didn't we didn't really cover it last week because I I hadn't seen the footage until after we recorded the the show. But if you really kind of want to see the difference, we talked about the blog last week about the step up of like the feeder series and F two into F one. Now. You would have thought F2 has got pretty much similar kind of experience, G-Force, all that kind of stuff. Did you see DeVries having to be helped out of the car because he basically, his, his shoulders, his neck and everything were just jello? Yeah. He just, or jelly, whichever one you want to say. Um, and it's he not couldn't a slice move. of luck pie. He couldn't move. He couldn't get out of the thing. And I'm thinking, do you know, that, that just shows you that... Without the conditioning, without the because he'd been plucked that morning basically to come and race on uh, to do qualifying in the race, he'd really had no kind of lead up to it, and the the, the step up from F two to F one was just kind of that visible. I mean, it was insane. Well, and we've talked about this before. Pato Award when Pato did the test from IndyCar, did the test for McLaren, he was honest with Lando and explained to him that he had to have the padding put in the side of the car next to his helmet because he couldn't keep his head up after yeah. a session because of the neck challenge so when people compare racing series um not even just formula to non-formula but even within it is very different um we had a c squared challenge that actually dropped right at monza um so I'm, i'll hit it here it was an italian food test with carlos Sainz and charles leclerc uh, on the ferrari channel not bad it was all in italian so <laughs> what? so yeah you, you could tell who won because the numbers 
were in were in English. The numbers were in American, but otherwise it was all in Italian. But it was good. Uh, and, but there was an interesting one as well that I found, and I really plumbed the internet for this one. So Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz took on two challenges with someone I'd never heard of before named Lizzie McIntosh. And I don't know who that is, um, but she asked them the truth or dare questions, and then they did a whisper challenge. It was fun to watch the two. It was a really well done job by Lizzie. Um, I was curious, and so I checked some of her channel on YouTube. She actually walked around New York in, I think, Washington Square Park. I can't remember. I lived there for a while, and it looked like Washington Square Park. But asking people about Formula One, and no one had any idea what she was talking about. And it was hilarious. So anyway, just that, that was a good video if you want to check it out. And I'm sorry for all of the extra um, Charles Chuck Leclerc videos, but I'm not going to apologize, am I? No! Moving on. T t talking about like not having a clue about things, um, Vale's Tales this week. Um, we are covering the career of the great Alberto Ascari, which we had both heard of, but we hadn't really gone and done any digging about. Um, and when we went digging, man, there's a lot to find, yeah. despite the fact that it was a fairly short career in the end. But um, So that's what we're going to hit now. We're going to go over the life and career of Ascari. And... Um, my God, I enjoyed looking into this one, Brian. It was it was amazing to go digging. But before we get into Ascari, the man, how did you first hear about the name Ascari? Yeah, so I suggest this is so good. I suggest everybody curl up next to the fire. Bring <laughs> oh your my. partner or spouse or friend, cat or dog, and get ready to learn about Alberto Ascari. How did we learn about him first? Well, you might ask. We actually, uh, I heard about it from Ascari, the car manufacturer on Top Gear, the first time. They, they reviewed an Ascari A10, and they dropped briefly, named after the Formula One driver. And I moved on. I said, ah, I'm not familiar with that guy. And it was kind of fascinating, just even the car manufacturer for a second, just to hit this, because it all ties in together. So it was a wealthy Dutch businessman who... You know, named the team, the company after an Italian racing driver. They were built in England, um, and they also created a racetrack, Ascari did, with replicas of famous corners. So now the car company is long defunct, long gone. Um, it was been about 10 years. They no longer make the cars, but the track for the rich still survives. And you may say, yeah, so what? So hold on. I told you the cars were made in England. The facility in Banbury, if I pronounced that right, yes, you did. where they made the Ascaris is now Haas's European base. And the track that has the replica corners rang a bell for me, and I did a little research, and it was a Top Gear episode when they did uh, the German, as they would say, saloons, we would say sedans, um, it was You'd season 10, episode 10. And the reason I know that is because it was the M3, the RS4, and the Mercedes C63, and I had just gotten my first C63, and I watched that thing like it was my own car a million times over and over again. So I watched all this, I said, oh, this is good. We're leading into something good here as we start learning about 
Alberta was well, covered. and before we, so I saw your note about the Top Gear one. I was like, I, I think I remember that. So I quickly Googled um, Ascari Top Gear. I ended up watching a completely different video, which was about the Ascari, I think, K71, which was one of their sports cars that they, they uh, pulled out. And they went in a little bit more into the background. They basically said, if you want to enter the supercar market, you need A, a really fast car, uh, B, it really it looks to look nice, and C, it needs to have some kind of heritage. So they, they basically said that because, like, Enzo Ferrari had obviously named his company after himself, and it had got this legacy and romanticism of, like, an Italian name, they basically went for Ascari because they were hoping it was going to conjure up that same kind of, that feeling. So they just plucked a name out to go, yeah, we're going to name our car after that because it's going to make us sound like we're about 100 years old, despite the fact <laughs> we've only just formed the company. But... But anyway, let's talk about the man, the legend that they were trying to tap into when they named the uh, the car company after this. So, uh, you know, this was your choice. I'll let you take a lot of the lead yeah. on this, Brian. Yeah. But there's just one piece I want to hit right at the beginning, which yeah, is that. Uh, so he was the son of Antonio Ascari, who was a very, very good race driver, whose teammate was Enzo Ferrari. And I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind because Enzo Ferrari, like some weird kind of like murder board with all the string being kind of uh, connected about the place, is going to basically dip in and out all the way through Ascari's career. Yeah. And I, I ended up going down a rabbit hole of looking at Enzo Ferrari. So one day he has to be a Vale's Tales entry because that dude is really, really interesting as well. So, um, yeah, why don't you just kick us off on Ascari, Brian? Yeah, thanks. So, he's, um, so I did select this. I, I, we'd heard a lot of it about him when we looked at Fangio. And if you haven't listened to our Fangio Vale sales, you should go check it out. Um, so Ascari was born outside Milan in 1918. As you mentioned, his father Antonio was a race driver, and sadly, Antonio died on track in 1925 in a, in a French GP when Alberto was seven. And as you talked about, um, you know, you're going to see Enzo come back and forth. Alberto loved motorcycles and raced these. He was signed to a team at age 19. Um, and he had really just kind of really had this passion for racing, but it was about motorcycles. And Enzo at Ferrari had stayed in young Alberto's life and eventually convinced him shortly after he signed with the motorcycle team to move from four, uh, two wheels to four. And he entered the Mili Milia. I did that wrong. Um, well, I mean, you, you pronounce that fine. I'm just waiting for you to pronounce the team that he raced for. No, I was going to pass on that. Um, <laughs> but he raced... <laughs> Too hard. We don't have names like that in America. I, I, I'll give it a go. He raced in an auto avio construzioni. There we yeah. go. We'll go for that. Just yeah. mamma mia. As, yeah. as good as I could do. It's so I a got pizza and a pie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he raced there in a car supplied by Enzo Ferrari. And at this point, Ferrari hadn't started yet. So he provided him with a car is what he did. Um, and then he really got into racing four wheels regularly. And what is kind of fascinating is... As Enzo played a role in Alberto's life, there was another connection that he created, Alberto Ascari did, that also played a huge role in his life. And so uh, around this time, uh, Italy entered World War II. Uh, the family garage was now run by Alberto, but he was conscripted to service and he was maintaining vehicles for the Italian military. He actually created a lucrative transportation business, supplying fuel to arm and, and other things to arms depots in North Africa. And his partner in this was a here's the next connection, Luigi Villaresi. Yeah? Villaresi? I'm gonna go for yeah. Villaresi. Yeah. yeah, let's go there. All right. And so they started this business together, but they'd kind of known each other before. He was a racer as well. 
they had a wild time. They capsized in Tripoli, lost a shipment of trucks, but they survived it. They went through this war effort, and when it was over, when the war was done, Alberto got back to racing. And his teammate, when he got back into racing in, in the late 40s, was none other than Vioresi. And it was, he became his mentor, teammate, and friend to Ascari. They were racing all over the north of Italy in Maseratis, having the best time. But Formula One wasn't even a thing yet. And that's kind of where it all starts getting ready, getting ready to take off. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like, just as the momentum of F1 is starting to build, he is absolutely kicking ass around all the non-F1 things. Between 46 and 49, Ascari is just, just developing these insane racing skills and winning all these different events all around uh, all around Europe. Um, oh, we, why have I taken over here? I've got another pronunciation effort here. So he won race. His, no, no, we're going to try it. We're going to try it. He won his first Grand Prix at the Grand Premio di San Remo. In 1948, that, that was not uh, and then took second place in the. This is easy now. The RAC International Grand Prix at Silverstone. So he's already kind right. of developing those skills uh, that are going to really start coming to the forefront when F1 kicks in. But and, before we get to F1, <laughs> I'm yeah. going to let you take the rabbit hole I love here, this Brian. One. This is so great. And so um, in 48, 49, right, and, and a year before F1 is born, you got this guy Alberto Ascari who's kicking ass, as we just said, all over. Um, you know, Europe. However, put put your, your your hat on and let's go to a different time. Travel with us in our in our time machine to a different time when these were not like highly paid, you know, f- racing drivers. They were famous, but they weren't necessarily rich unless they were successful. Um, not like today where people just train and have physios and trainers and dietitians and nutritionists. And so Alberto was a little bit on the chunky side. <laughs> he was not fat. I saw pictures of him, and I thought it was BS. With someone, some people were saying he was fat, but he was a, he was not skinny. He and, he, he uh, fit nicely. He was snugly fit into his car, right? Exactly. And his nickname was Chichio, which means tubby, but in kind of a fun, loving way. So <laughs> I, I I realized like what you know what would happen if we had a Chichio on the grid today, and so I did a little research. And uh, I do have a little bit of a sap stat about this. Sap stats. And so if you look at it, there is an actual minimum weight for a driver to be, and it was established in 2019. I did not know that. It's 80 kilograms. Now, let me explain what I mean by minimum weight. So that's about 176 pounds. It doesn't mean the driver has to be 80 kilograms. It means you will be 80 kilograms combined with some ballast placed under your seat. And so you do not want to be over 80 kilograms because that's just extra weight. But anything under 80, they will true you up to 80 with weights so that every driver is effectively 80 kilograms going around. So they take that whole weight difference out. Um, And it's fascinating that they do that. So they actually set the seat ballast under the seat in the footprint of the seat. And so if there were a a 75-kilogram driver, it would be a 5-kilogram ballast. 80, 80 kilograms heading out onto the track, no matter who it is. And so being heavier than 80 would be a humongous penalty. And so when we joke, I, last week I joked, Alex Albon had his appendix removed, so he'd be lighter on track. Well, this is just going to they're going to have to put extra weight underneath them because of the loss <laughs> of the appendix. So it didn't actually. It's not a big organ. I don't think they have to add much. Uh, well, you know, Williams are taking paint off looking for whatever they can do. Um, and if and then I said, well, who's the heaviest driver on the grid today? Because I'm curious. And as of March, they published the driver weights, 
And the heaviest driver on the grid this year is Nikki Latifi at 74 kilograms. So well, at least so, he's winning something. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't I'm know if we sorry. can keep going after that. So <laughs> let me close the non-F1 years. Back to, back to Alberto. So he won another race in 49 for Maserati um, in Buenos Aires. But then he and his teammate... Vioresi signed with Ferrari. Now Ferrari at this point had been established. I think it was forty-seven. I think they were. Yeah, established. I mean, it, this is a this is a big leap of faith. I mean, these Huge. two are kicking ass in Maserati, and Enzo comes along and says, "I've got this new company that I set up like about five minutes ago. Uh, come and race for me." I and all he really had, apparently, he just basically said, went to them and said, "Alfa Romeo are the team to beat, and we're going to beat them. I'm going to give you the car that can beat them, but I need your driving skills to beat them." And Ascari just kind of went. Okay. <laughs> well, the best part is, so it's, again, it's Enzo's former teammate's son, and he talks to Ascari. He obviously has chops at this point, so it's not like he got a guy out of the blue. However, he brought his teammate. That's awesome. That's like when ESPN comes to me, and they say, Brian, we want you to do coverage of Formula One. And I go, well, can I bring Rob along? And they kind of go, oh, maybe, I don't know. And I get him there. So it would be very <laughs> Thanks, similar Brian. to that. You're welcome. Yeah. And so anyhow, that brings us to the first Formula One season, 1950. Yeah, and um, they made their debut. Uh, they they do well, but not really amazing. They don't set the world on fire. Alfa Romeo win uh, the title. We covered it uh, last week about Farina. Uh, won the, the debut um, F1 year. Uh, I think as you kind of pointed out, Brian, um, Ferrari got better as the year got on. The engine got much better as they got on, but it was too little too late. And is that really now, through the looking glass, Mercedes 2022? <laughs> But, you know, it proved it. It was getting better because 51 rolls around and uh, Ascari in his Ferrari is, is two points behind Fangio in the Alfa Romeo. So um, going into the final race, Fangio wins it, takes home the championship, which is now Fangio's first. But Ferrari are absolutely knocking on the door. So why don't you take us into 52, Brian? So we're going to hit 52 quickly here. And then I'm going to kind of talk about it again at the end. I just want to tell everyone right now, 1952, Alberto Ascari is one of the best seasons ever in Formula One. If you listened to our Jim Clark Vales Tales, plug in that one too here. If you haven't, go do it. Um, Clark's 1963 season is widely regarded as one of the best in Formula One history. I would say the 52 Ascari stands up to it. So first of all, he's the he, he misses the first race of the 52 season. He's at Indy. He's the first European in the 11-year history of the Indy 500 to run Indy. Was it the 500 then even or was it Indy? I don't even know. After 40 laps, he had a wheel collapse. I don't know what that means. That sounds horrible. Um, I checked it out, and it just basically says wheel collapse everywhere. But anyway, he gets back to Europe. He won six rounds of the series to clinch the world title. He also won five of those weird, we're going to get into these in the future, non-championship wins. Uh, and he had the fastest lap in all of these. And then he crashed in Monza in June, missed some of the remaining season, but he'd already taken enough points. He won his first F1 world title. And again, I'm going to hit 52 a little later. Um, and then in 53, he won three more races consecutively to start the season. He put himself way ahead in the nine. It was only a nine-race season. And, and won his second world title in a row. And just one thing that's super important here that we really didn't hit. Um, a, this was the first ever multiple world championship winner. I know that may sound obvious, Farina, Fangio, Ascari, Ascari. It's pretty early on. But first time, first one to do that. And the second thing that is amazing 
He is the only Italian Grand Prix, uh, Formula One drivers champion born in Italy. Yeah, and I mean, and and it goes some way to why he's held in such esteem by the Tifosi because they've had a number of world champions, but they've only ever had one that is one of their own. And we'll we'll cover we'll cover it later as to quite how much he was uh, held in esteem by Italy. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing. And then he, um, after retaining that title, he then moves to Lancia and. It's funny because we don't just take all of our source of information from Wikipedia. If we did, we would just say he had a salary dispute with Ferrari and he left and went to Lancia. (laughs) That didn't ring true to me because all this stuff about Ascari had been how he was a gentleman, he was uh, full of morals, all this kind of stuff. I couldn't believe that it was a salary dispute. So I went digging a little bit more. And there's a number of different articles that actually say, as well as money, Lancia came into the sport and, and came knocking on his door. And when he saw the specification of the car that they were going to offer him, he was like, hmm, Ferrari are going to kind of stay static now and probably get caught by others. And I I don't really want to just be knocking around for third and fourth. I I want to be winning. And this car looks amazing. And the clincher, as a lot of these little, again, my murder board with all the strings linking up the dots. Who had designed this car for Lancia? Uh, Vittorio Jano, the man responsible for designing the Alfa Romeo that his father had uh, driven all of his greatest triumphs in. I mean, do 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 do. I mean, it's <laughs> Vittorio Jano is the Adrian Newey of those days. <laughs> uh, so he went across. You know, he followed his heart. He's like, well. I trust this guy. He designed cars that gave my dad all of his greatest victories. Uh, I think they are they are onto something. It might take a bit of time, and it and it kind of did, because the yeah, next the, year wasn't great, was the it? The first year they barely had a car. It wasn't. I think they raced it a hand twice, three times, something the whole year. It just wasn't ready. It was so bad. Uh, Lancia allowed him to drive twice for Maserati and once Ferrari that season in any car, just so he could run because they just weren't ready. It was basically a lost year. As a guy who came off of a double world champion, basically lost an entire year because the car wasn't up to snuff. Yeah, and um, and and he was getting a lot of pelters for this at this point. Like the the Italian press were criticizing him left, right, and center for uh, uh, leaving Ferrari, saying that he couldn't make Lancia competitive, uh, and he just kind of just didn't get involved. Apparently, he was you know the reports were he was just a modest friendly guy very polite just ignored the press uh just just ignored it because uh same kind of just toxic journalism that we probably get these days on twitter he was able to just turn a blind eye and go do you know what i'm gonna show you guys um and in 55 chicho was just having something to eat (laughs) too busy tucking into his lasagna yeah Yeah, you've thrown me now. Where were we? Yeah, 55. <laughs> 55, 55. So um, it started promising. The Lancia starts to show its uh, its potential. They take a few victories at the non-championship races. Um, and there was kind of this thing going on now that, okay, Lancia maybe isn't the joke that it was going to be. Um, and Iscari was absolutely killing it in this car all of a sudden. However, was reporting that the handling of the car wasn't fantastic and it was basically taking every skill in his being to keep it on the track, which then kind of showed up in massive inst- uh, massive circumstances in Monaco in 55 as to quite how hard it was to keep on the track. Yeah, I was blown away by this. So let's put a date out there. May 22nd. That'll be important soon. So May 22nd, 1955, Monaco Grand Prix. Um, Late in the race, and Ascari is chasing a bunch of people down to try to get this, I don't want to call it a 
you know, a garbage can or whatever. It's just not handling well. He's chasing everyone down. So he's chasing down Sterling Moss for the win after Fangio had retired. He was unaware that Moss had also retired. So, but he's pushing. Ascari's pushing everything he's got late in the race. He actually crashed through some hay bales and sandbags after missing a chicane and went into the Mediterranean Sea. He went into the sea and sank. And there was an oil slick. And now this, we, you know, I read a couple of different articles. I don't have a picture. But the sank, bubbles and steam came up. And then eventually his signature and famous pale, pale blue helmet appeared on the surface. He was hauled out by a boat. And everybody who talks about it talks about the fact he had his terribly broken nose from this crash. He was in Monaco and drove into the sea. <laughs> you escaped with a broken nose. I'd be pretty happy with just I'd be pretty happy nose. too. May 22nd. And so um, I'm going to let you hit this next part because um, superstition is really important. Yeah, you, and, you got and a better come, handle on this than I do. And it'll come back round, actually, unfortunately, uh, as we carry on going. But apparently he was a really, really superstitious person. He had absolute terror of black cats. Hmm. Um, he would just like actively, like he could be mid-conversation with you. And if he saw a black cat, he would just actively run to anywhere else where the cat wasn't. Um, this is the one that's going to come back. He had a horror of, well, the word is cabela, which is uh, omens, uh, bad omens of numerology. Um, and he dreaded uh, he dreaded ever going anywhere near uh, Montlhery, which was the uh, scene of his father's death 30 years before. So this guy's got all this stuff going on in his head, and he's, he's not in a good space. He's just crashed into the sea. So he wants to be fit for uh, Spa, which is only two weeks away, so he decides to take a little trip. Yep, and now it's four days later, Thursday, uh, May 26th, 1955, he decides to go to Monza because he was kind of restless, not doing anything the last four days. And a guy named Eugenio Castellotti, the Lancia team junior driver, a bit of a protege to Alberto, was going to test uh, a car at Monza. And they were going to end up co-driving it in a thousand kilometer Monza race. Um, and it was actually in a Ferrari. Uh, Lancia had given them special dispensation. And so he shows up there, Alberto does. He wasn't going to be driving. He's in a suit. And as the story goes, uh, Castellotti came in. And Ascari, Castellotti, and Ascari's friend, uh, Vioresi, his teammate, they're in the paddock having some lunch. And afterwards, Alberto sort of says, hey, you know what? I'd like to give that car a try. And it was a purely spontaneous decision. He didn't even have his gear with him. So he's wearing a suit. And he takes his jacket off, gets in the car. And uh, he's like, I don't even have a helmet. And one of his other superstitions was his helmet. And as I mentioned, is famous for his pale blue racing helmet, which I have seen pictures of Ascarian, and it sort of, you know, rang a bell to me. He borrows Castellotti's helmet and takes off. So there he is in his tie, his shirt sleeves, his, his trousers, and someone else's helmet. He takes off at Monza in this, in this car. And so he emerges from a fast corner on the third lap, the car somersaults, he's thrown out of the car onto the track, and he passes away. And it happened at a high-speed corner, and I did not know this. They rearranged the corner shortly thereafter, and they renamed it in his honor. And that's why we have the Ascari chicane at Monza. It's where he passed. A reconfigured track now. Um, it was. It's not as a high-speed corner as it had been before. And they can talk about... You know, why the crash happened. There's all kinds of reasons that people have talked about. It's just horribly sad that a guy who wasn't even going to be racing that day had just survived four days earlier the Monaco situation 
um, hops into the car and doesn't and doesn't get a chance to get out. Yeah, and like you said, they've never explained it. Um, there's multiple theories out there. One was that it was only four days later, and he had delayed concussion and just he just blacked out uh, and lost control of the car. Uh, there was another one that said I didn't mean to laugh then, but his tie blew up into his face uh, and caused him to miss the corner. Um, Mike Hawthorne was interviewed and said that he felt that the tyres were at fault and they were too wide for the rim and, and uh, that had given the, the grip issues. Because essentially where he where the car basically skidded, it, it, you just don't lose it there. It's just not a place that any driver would lose it there. And um, yeah, never never really been explained. The, the thing that's really freaky when we go back, especially to his kind of like um, his superstitions and fear of numero- numerology, um, the co- eerie coincidences between his own death and his father's death so Antonio was killed on the 26th of July 25 Alberto was on 26th of May 55 so the same day of the month they both died at age 36 so the same number 36 again they both lost their life four days later for miraculous escapes so both um, Antonio and uh, Ascari had miraculous escapes like the Monaco into the water and then ended up uh, dying four days later. But the one that really kind of, I mean, those are bad enough, but the one that then kicks yeah. it for me is uh, both men, father and son, reviewed, uh, regarded their helmets as their lucky charm. And they were both killed the first time they drove on a circuit wearing someone else's helmet. Mm. I mean, that's mind-blown levels of eeriness. I mean, it's, uh, a incredibly sad, but B, uh, wow. I mean, how close can you get? Is it, that's just that's just there's 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 coincidence and there's eerie coincidence. But yeah. And as we know, you know, the early days of Formula One and motor racing at this time were incredibly dangerous. Um, we've talked about other drivers who have who have tragically passed, but Castellotti, who had been testing the car previously, uh, passed two years later, uh, testing a new Ferrari. Uh, and then, but then, you know, as we said kind of earlier, you may not be a quote professional driver. I mean, that was his job. He got paid for it, but he didn't have, you know, trainers and, um, you know, physios and social media people and all these other things that people have now. And we talked about his weight. However, fame did come with this. And being the only, still to this day, Italian born Ferrari champion, when they buried Alberto Ascari. Um, everything else in Milan was was forgotten that day. The city was in mourning and shock. A million people, it said, show, showed up for that funeral to watch his coffin pass. A million. In 1955. Like, you know how hard it was to travel around then? It's not like you hopped on you know, a high-speed train or grabbed a helicopter or, you know, I mean... It, oh, yeah, like we all do. I mean, I grab a helicopter everywhere I go, Brian. <laughs> well, I do. And so, um, anyway, it was just... The, the city, the country uh, mourned an amazing driver. And Rob, talk a little bit about some people, some of the, the things we read about them thinking about Alberto. Yeah, I mean, actually, just before we move on, the, the, the image I've kind of got as well is that the funeral procession, they said it was a, 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 just a completely kind of, you know, blacked out coffin, but with the light blue helmet resting on top of it. And like, that must have been something to see. I mean, mm. uh not that you want to see it, but um, it must have been something. And yeah, I mean, the late great Murray Walker said that he was uh, Italy's greatest ever. Um, his quote was plump, dapper, and charming. Uh, dominated Grand Prix racing in the early 50s. So yeah, he, he thought he was plump as well. GG. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And, and, and Murray continued, said his, uh, his pale blue helmet and his pale blue sleeveless shirt. He was a supreme stylist, always more comfortable at the front of a race. He preferred to dominate. And once he was in the lead, he made it look so easy, which was backed up by Enzo Ferrari, who said when leading, he could not easily be overtaken. In fact, it was virtually impossible to overtake him. I mean, everyone just thought he was like the bee's knees. If bees actually have knees, but if they do, then Ascari was the bee's knees. So we have to do some stats as we talk about Alberto Ascari. And I have a bumper crop of stats for you here. Sap stats, Alberto Ascari edition. So... As I said already, the first multiple drivers champion in F1, um, as a, in 52 and 53, he was, Ascari remains along with Schumacher, Ferrari's back-to-back world champions. But here's the thing, their sole Italian champion. He entered 32 Grands Prix. He won 13, which is a 40-plus percent win clip. And that's in his career. And that's second behind Fangio, who we did a Vale's Tale about. And you know who third is? Jim Clark we also did a Vale's Tales about. So we've kind of, knowing a little bit about the back in the days, kind of walked our way into three of the greatest ever uh, from a Vale's Tales perspective. Ascari, I think, probably the least well-known. He had 14 pole positions, 12 fastest laps, 17 podiums. 53% of the time, he ended up on the podium. And he had 14 retirements, which is 43%. So I did a little math. And when you add that together... 97% of the time, Alberto Ascari finished on the podium or didn't finish. Yeah, so if he wasn't let down, basically, if he wasn't let down by his car, which back in the day, reliability was nowhere near what it is now. If if the car didn't let him down, he put it on the podium every time. Amazing. 68, he also ran 68 non-world championship races, but let's talk a little more about 52. 52, as I mentioned, it rivals Clark's 63. In the race, in the seasons we've reviewed, and there are others. We'll talk more about other amazing seasons as we as we do the dirty side. Highest percentage of wins in a season all time, Alberto Ascari, seventy five percent of the race wins in nineteen fifty two. The highest percentage of fastest laps in a season, Alberto Ascari, seventy five percent, also in fifty two. Most consecutive fastest laps, seven in a row, Alberto Ascari, six of them in fifty two, one of them in the beginning of fifty three. Um, 100% of potential uh, championship points in a season, 52. Most hat tricks in a season, 5, 52. Most consecutive laps in the lead, 304 laps in the lead in a row, in a row, 52 <laughs> Belgian Grand Prix and then the Dutch Grand Prix. And then here's the, just what really blew my mind, just to bring it back to a little bit more modern day. So I already mentioned, right, the most um, percentage, percentage of wins in a season. And we've talked about Max's raw number. And going for 13. And then Paul and others, and we have even said the, the percentage is what matters. Because back in the day, you had less races. So Ascari leads, 1952, 75% of races entered one. Number two all-time is Schumacher's 2004 season, when he had 72% uh, of, of wins. Number three is 1963, Jim Clark, 70%. That magical 63 season. But here's what's interesting. As of today, number four, and again, if my math is right, Max Verstappen. He has 68.75% of the wins, 11 of 16 so far this season, ahead of Seb, Fangio, Schumacher, Hamilton, Clark, Vettel, Hamilton. So Max is doing something amazing, 
but when you look at the guy and the, the people in front of him, Clark Schumacher Ascari, uh, you know, that's really impressive company to keep in terms of dominating a season. And I would say that 52, 1952 season with 75% of wins and everything else I highlighted has got to be one of the best seasons ever driven by anyone in Formula One. And what can Max? What can Max end up on if he wins? What, what have we got this year? Twenty three, did you say, or is it? Are we down uh, twenty two. We lost Russia. So he's won eleven. Six we've, more. We got six more, so he could win seventeen of twenty two, right? I mean, he has to win every single one of the rest to do your little math there. Yeah, yeah. If he if he if he does that, if he gets the uh, what we got seventeen divided by twenty two, right? He'll get seventy seven percent. So he has to win every single race to go past Ascari. If he doesn't, he'll slot into the number two spot ahead of uh, Schumacher if he say won five of the six remaining. So to, yeah. that just when we think about how dominant Max is this year and how amazing that car is and the fusion of great driver with great car, he still has to win every single race of this season <laughs> to become number one ahead of Ascari. That's what yeah. we're saying, right? That's if he fails saying. to win just one of them, he isn't going to take that record. And we know the number you know, of races. The competitors obviously... are different, yeah, 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 and the yeah, cars, yeah. and the travel, and the yada yada yada. But I'm, I'm just saying, don't just because you don't know Alberto Ascari. Well, now you do, but because you didn't, don't give, don't, don't let him not get the proper credit. I, I, some double negative happened there, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dirty side—a heartfelt, invigorated conversation ruined by language. Uh, but I mean, I loved—I loved diving into this. I've spent a lot of time on YouTube looking at old Ascari clips, watching Top Gear episodes, watching for anybody that was talking about him. I've kind of consumed over the past few days. So uh, I love it when we pick a driver that we kind of know the name but don't know the story, and then when you go digging, you find like an amazing story. So. Thank you for picking Ascari, Brian, because uh, it was it was really good fun, and I hope everyone that's listened has kind of uh, enjoyed hearing about Ascari. Um, uh, what are we doing now? Well, we've, I think one thing we forgot to do, or we weren't able to do last week, because we did uh, rapid fire pod, uh, given the football, was we didn't talk at all about the fantasy from Italy, and we need to highlight the the winners. That's right. Oh, it hadn't. Uh, it, no, because we rec- we dared to record it two hours after the race had finished, and two yeah. hours isn't enough for the F1 supercomputer to crunch all the numbers. <laughs> I'm assuming there's a monkey and an abacus, but who knows? <laughs> so from Monza in the uh, in the dirty side league, first place Rowan D with DTS Drive to Spin, 289 points, mega man, mega. Followed by Stephen Yu. Vroom Stappen, we've mentioned your team before, Steven. Nice job. Bellatelli, 21. Red Bellino, we've also mentioned you. Came in third at 231 points. Andrew T, Alpha Taley. Andrew was our first half winner. Uh, back on form, 224 points in fourth place. Your t-shirt should be arriving this week. Um, Jim M, your neighbor, Guitar Hero, 217 points in fifth place. So give him a quick shout out because I want to hit sixth and seventh. We're going to seventh this week for a reason. Uh, Jim, woo! <laughs> Nailed it. Man, when Rob's your buddy, you can count on him for support. Sixth place, Joseph W. Can you hear the drums for Lando? 213. And then right behind that is our friend and founder of our Discord server, Lee, with Team Minimal Effort. 203 points. Shout out, Lee, and shout out the Dirty Side Discord. You should be joining us, people. It's a blast. Yeah, you absolutely should. Um, because one thing you can do on the Discord channel as well as on Twitter is volunteer to go on the 100 seconds of DRS, uh, which is what 
Anthony did, and uh, we caught up with him. And uh, let's check in on how Anthony got on in 100 seconds of DRS. All right, we are super excited to have Dirty Sider Anthony on with us today. And Anthony, first off, huge shout out for listening to us ask for for 100 seconds of DRS uh, volunteers and, and doing so on Twitter. So I would just tell all the other Dirty Siders who have thought about doing that, follow Anthony's lead. So Anthony, welcome, my friend. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank was- you for all the great content. Uh, always. It's great to have you here. So, Anthony, one of the things we always like to talk to, you know, Dirty Siders about is their love of F1 and how they got into F1, because um, we're all F1 fans here. So, for you, how did you get into F1? What was the beginning of your journey? Yeah, so, you know, uh, during peak COVID, uh, you know, stumbled across uh, Drive to Survive and uh, really just been riding that wave the whole way through, you know, Uh watched all of that got caught up and then started watching the season once that started and uh, been obsessed with it ever since now now you're out on, on long island correct and and, and so you t- you kind of shared with us as we started and i got to give anthony a kudos here um he has a commute to work but you you consume more f1 content than anybody i know and i love it so h- how many podcasts roughly do you listen to weekly uh, i would uh, I would say at least five just F1 related podcasts I listen to. <laughs> that is amazing. And I know Rob has a follow up here, but I'm going to do it for him. Would you say Dirty Side is, you know, pretty much the top of the list? Of course, you guys are at the top. That's where <laughs> I was going. You read else. my mind. Read my mind. That's where I was going. Now, it's cool that you found it um, through Drive to Survive. As we were chatting beforehand, you kind of said, oh, yeah, you know, I know some people in the UK aren't a big fan of Drive to Survive. And I actually think it's worse than that, especially when you hang out on Twitter, is that there's there seems to be a, a, a community of folk that seem to think you're not a real F1 fan if you got into it through Drive to Survive. Like, you've got to have some badge that shows you've been watching it since 1950. Uh, I think that sucks. I think Drive to Survive has done a great job of bringing people like you into the sport. And if you're in it now and you love it, who cares if you've been in there I, since December? Everyone I love has to Drive start to somewhere, survive. right? Yeah. I love Drive to Survive. Season four, and we were talking about this, a little bit over-dramatized, but uh, I love the behind-the-scenes thing, and I think it's great. Yeah, I agree. I, I love to see a more human side to the drivers than just somebody in a seat. You know, yeah. I think it really brings out their character more. I mean, look at what became of Daniel Ricardo. I mean, he's arguably the biggest driver in the sport, even though he doesn't have a seat next year. Yeah. And everybody yeah. follows him and knows who he is and, and a lot of that that character. And he has a great he does have a great personality. At least it comes across as such. I mean, for all we know, we're getting duped, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you never know what you're seeing out there. But I do. I mean, Danny Rick is one of my favorite drivers and had been before that. But watching him on Drive to Survive, when my wife started watching Drive to Survive with me, and I'm like, you got to you got to watch Danny Rick. He's hilarious. And so I, I love your point. I think it brings out that human side of the drivers really strongly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the thing that the thing that I now think, like, I wish that something like that had been around, like, for years is that w- we had Pit Lane Paul on once um, in one of our early episodes where he told us a story about Michael Schumacher and how Michael Schumacher would take part in the game that if you left your groin area unattended with your hands, uh, he would just basically walk past and nad tap you, just punch you in the groin. Now, <laughs> without something like the like behind the scenesy type thing, you know, Schumacher was always portrayed as kind of like this stone cold machine of a man, machine 
two machines come together, Schumacher and the car, and off it goes. And he never really got to know much personality. So I think I'm all for things like Drive to Survive, as long as they, like we said, cut the over-dramatization out. So I think it's cool. So Yeah, I agree. I'm oh, sorry. I, I, I do have a question, though. And so uh, how did you find the dirty side? One of your many, of course, your favorite of your many uh, podcasts that you consume. <laughs> Uh, actually, I found you guys through uh, Twitter. Um, you know, I was just on F1 Twitter one day and I saw you guys make, you know, a, a good comment on something. And I saw that you guys were a podcast and I was immediately interested to see, you know, what content you guys brought to the table. We appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's great. You know, you guys are my top listen every week. Love to hear you guys. Love the 100 seconds of DRS. Love the SAP stats. I know Rob's not a fan. <laughs> oh, I love the sap stats. I, I just, just I, I'm, get, I'm getting more into the jingle side of it now. We need to get, you know, <laughs> you don't happen to play, you don't play a musical instrument, do you, Anthony? Uh, I play the drums here and there. Mm. I might lay a, a nice little beat, but uh, I'm no producer or anything like that. But I might know a guy. Well, I mean, seriously, if you wanted to take your, just take your phone and uh, set it next to some drums one day and give us, you know, seven seconds of a riff, we'll use it. Oh, I'll, uh, I'll definitely try and work something out. If I think it's good, I'll send it in. I'm starting to worry. I don't know if you did hear the uh, the sandwich rant song um, that got done by one of our listeners. Um, I'm thinking he might have set the bar too high and now people are scared to come in because it's kind of dropped off the entries since that one came in. Yeah, I mean, that and the mariachi Formula One theme song, are, you know, it's hard to live up to those expectations. <laughs> I'm sure I'm violating all kinds of copyrights on that because I found it somewhere on the side of the internet one day and I'm like, oh boy, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Anthony, wait before... for the and the Sith. Yeah, exactly. Well, we just we cease and ignore those. So the question I have for you <laughs> is last one before we get into the, the, the 100 seconds is you know as a fan for the last year and a half of f1 like what what's your favorite team like constructor at this point that you watch and i'm just curious where your um alliance or allegiance has been built uh over that time because it's been fascinating to see where the teams have been so i'm kind of curious yeah so uh it might sound like a cop-out but I'm a big Mercedes fan. Uh, I love Lewis Hamilton, you know, seeing a black driver in the sport and, you know, me being a, a half minority, uh, my mom being Dominican. It's amazing to see, like, you know, somebody that looks like somebody I could have grown up with, like, doing this compared to, you know, me growing up watching NASCAR a lot or with my dad. It's just, you know, primarily Caucasian male drivers driving the cars. You know, they had Danica Patrick for a little while, but even that was short-lived. Yeah. So... Lewis is what really, uh, you know, it was like, it was just amazing to see. And then, you know, to then find out that he's the best potential driver ever made it even better. You know, like I, I only knew of his name and what he did. I didn't know how good he was until I started actually watching and like digesting the sport to understand. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Okay. So you gravitated towards the character before you kind of understood the accomplishments. So, and that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Lewis is one of also one of my favorite drivers. And that's why I get honked off because like we don't swear here. Um, when uh, when people say a lot of his achievements were the car, and now people are saying that about Max, also incorrect. So like, yeah. you know, I, I think people yes, the car is a factor in it, but he's an amazing driver. He's one of the greatest talents ever in F one. 
it, it, it drives me mad because basically the best drivers will move towards the top teams, which will ultimately see the best drivers coupled with the best car. And as soon as they are, they then get criticized for being just the car. <laughs> it's like, yeah. unless you, you feel like unless Max or Lewis or any kind of top driver was driving around the back of the grid in a three-wheel ride on mower and still <laughs> winning, then no one would give them the credibility. I mean, you, you get, it's like any sport, you know, the best quarterbacks get drafted to the best teams or make their way to the best teams or in soccer, the best players get signed for the biggest clubs in the world i mean the cream rises to the top so why is it a surprise that the best driver is in the best car it just you could ah. use a better analogy anthony's wearing a new york yankees t-shirt he said aaron judge of course is going to end up on the yankees right yeah I of have course. no idea yeah i have no idea what that <laughs> sentence just means that you just said but yeah that's why we're America's leading Formula One podcast yeah. is because some of us understand how sports work in America. That's why I went with quarterback first. Come on. I didn't yeah, I, didn't well, I, thought, you, I thought you were going to say hockey. I thought you were going to say the quarterback of the hockey team is the important one. That's where I thought you were going, buddy. Oh, man. All right, Anthony. Uh, that we I've really get, enjoyed getting to know you, and I'm I'm assuming you're now very excited for the 100 seconds of DRS quiz. And um, today I will be asking the questions and Rob will be attempting to work the timer, which is usually a struggle for him. So (laughs) Anthony, sir, are you ready? Yes, sir. Let's do this. I am also ready. Rob, count us in, please. Oh, you are actually going to hand over to me to count me. I thought you were going to count me in for you then. So anyway. Well, I mean, someone's got to be competent on the side of the microphones. (laughs) It's not me. Right. Here we go. In three, two, one, go. Anthony, what's the first poster you had on your bedroom wall? Metallica. Best F1 driver on the grid today? Max Verstappen, unfortunately. (laughs) Favorite (laughs) restaurant? Uh... I'll go commercial. That way, most people know it. Uh, Fridays. All right. What's who's the best young driver in F one? Maybe outside of Max. Uh, uh, I'll go George Russell over Lando. Yeah, he's doing fantastic. What's your favorite F one track? Unpopular opinion. I love Singapore. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, okay, very important. This is the highlight of the quiz: GIF or GIF. Uh, it's, it's GIF, and anybody that says oh. GIF is... Or, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase, let me rephrase. It's GIF, not GIF. Whoever oh. says GIF is thinking about peanut butter. Yes, um, thank you. <laughs> so, woo, pulled it out of the fire there, Anthony. Uh, Mario or Luigi? Mario. Uh, Ferrari or Ford? Ford. If you could add a James Bond-type gadget to an F1 car, what would it be? Uh, Missiles. <laughs> yes, very good. Sleep in or up early? Up early. Oh, good for you, listening to all the podcasts. Who do you think's the best F1 driver of all time? Lewis Hamilton. Love it. What's your uh, least favorite television program? Grey's Anatomy. Oh, high five. <laughs> uh, tires, interesting or not interesting? Oh, interesting, and I know Rob hates it. Yes, this is, and that's time. This has been the best 100 seconds of DRS answer session ever. (laughs) Thank you. We were going somewhere different with the GIF, GIF, but when you said GIF, I knew it. And tires, interesting. By the way, Grey's Anatomy. My wife still watches Grey's Anatomy. I think it's still on the air. And like, I walk in the room, it's like the same storylines from 15 years ago. But sorry. How many doctors can you kill? I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I've I've actually never been to Seattle, but I'm assuming it's hit by a natural disaster or a plane crash every week, apparently. Every week. And this hospital has the worst mortality rate in the country. <laughs> Can we add this to a question? A hundred seconds. Grey's Anatomy. Complete and total BS or not? Oh, yeah. man. Anthony, th- thank you so very much for doing this. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. And um, it was just awesome to meet you, man. And, and like I said before, to all of the other Dirty Siders who are contemplating doing the 100 seconds of DRS, uh, reach out like Anthony did. We'll have a lot of fun. So, Anthony, thanks, man, for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was, it was amazing to meet you. And just th- thanks for the support. Thanks for making us your number one choice on your commute. <laughs> Of course, man. Thank you guys so much for, you know, keeping me interested and awake in the mornings. And uh, if any of the Dirty Siders are, you know, second guessing about DMing you guys like I was for a while, do it. It was worth it. Thanks, Anthony. Fantastic. Anthony, thank you again so much. And as I just said, that's a great testimonial for anyone who wants to be on 100 Seconds of DRS at F1 Dirty Side on Twitter. You can slide right into our DMs. We will answer and uh, set that up. Um, I, I love the fact that he was nervous about doing it, about like, well, maybe I will tweet them, maybe I won't, and like, yeah, you know, and, and he we did it. We had a blast. And we had a great he did it, and we had a blast, and we probably spent more time after we'd stopped recording talking to him um, than we did actually recording. So, yeah, do it. Just uh, if you listen, if you like the DRS, um, it's nothing big. Me and Brian aren't famous. Come on, have a chat, have fun. You don't do have DRS. Hmm? You don't have a helicopter, apparently? Well, apparently not, but I, maybe you must be having the, uh, the the dirty side helicopter all the time. I think I need to have it. <laughs> apparently I do. And that's um, it for this week. That was well, it our... is, and um, we don't really know what's going to happen next week. We're going to make it up as we go along because we've got another gap week because... Um... Yeah, another week to survive without racing. At least next week we can definitely give you a preview of Singapore and we can go into all the permutations of what Max will need in order to be able to take the title in <laughs> Singapore. Um, we promise it will be more than just that. We haven't quite worked out what it's going to be. Um, if you'd like some content, then tweet us. <laughs> no, we have plans. We've got plan A and plan B and plan C and plan D and like McLaren, we have plan G and plan E. And anyway, Can we go to plan K? question question (laughs) yes we can question anyway everybody thank you so much for listening this week we hope you enjoyed the ascari veils tales we honestly had a blast putting that together and we will continue to always do these driver retrospectives and maybe adding people like enzo ferrari or adrian newey uh, into the mix to learn more about them too. Yeah, yeah. For Enzo and, and, and Nui are kind of names that we put forward. But yeah, in all seriousness, if there are names out there that people would like us to cover, um, we're quite happy to take listener suggestions. So if you've got someone you would like us to feature on Veil's Tales, then uh, yeah, hit us up at Twitter, join the Discord channel, throw it in there. Um, and other than that, I think all that remains to say is keep it on the dirty side and we will speak to you next week. Be well, everybody.